Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Well, hey, this is why we have two services normally, right? Um, Yeah, because we just really can't all fit in here if we do one socially distanced like this. Boy, I'm glad that you're here. If you're glad you got up and came today, would you just go ahead and celebrate that real quick? Yeah. I think that Chip Gaines, you all know Chip Gaines, you heard of Chip Gaines before. I think Chip, some of you haven't heard of Chip Gaines, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna, you with me now? I think Chip Gaines speaks for every man when he says that Demo Day is the best. Demo Day really is the best day. There really is not any discussion to be had because there's no other day that requires so little skill um, that you can get so much accomplished in. You just come in with a hammer, you come in with a pry bar, uh, sawzall, we don't get to use the sawzall quite enough in my house, and you just start tearing stuff out, and it's spectacular. It really is. It takes skill and talent and patience to put it all back together, mind you, but tearing it out, now that, that is the fun part. Today we begin our journey through the Lenten season, and the text that's for us today in the lectionary is a text that comes from the flood, from the book of Genesis. I think of this a little bit like God's great big demo day. He decides that he's going to tear everything out and he's going to start over. And I think that's a pretty good image for us as we begin this season of reflection and repentance and purification is to look at this text. And, and, and I know that this text is debated. I know that people ask questions about it, like, you know, how did this really work? Was there really like this giant big flood? Uh, you know, did this happen? You know, when did this happen? And you can go to, you know, the museum here and see a, a lifelike replica of that here in northern Kentucky. And that's a, it's a cool place. I've, I've been told. I've not been myself. Uh, there's scientists that have ideas about that. Some people would say, you know, this, this worldwide flood, it couldn't happen. And so you've got some historians that say it was a large regional flood. You know, some people say this is with the Ice Age 10,000 years ago. Here's the truth. I, I'm not old enough to be able to tell you when it happened or how this all went down. And while I'm for the exploration of it scientifically, and I think we should ask the questions and we should do the best we can to try to figure it out, because as Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. Uh, I will tell you that I think there are deeper truths that are more applicable to us today, uh, regardless of how you place this historically or how you work this out in the geophysical mechanics department. And so I want to look at at some of this text here. Uh, In Genesis chapter 9, verse 8, we'll pick it up there. It says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. 
and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. The first three words that God says to Noah are real simple. It says, I now establish. The question we might want to ask is, why now? Why didn't you establish the covenant with Noah before he got in the boat? Why didn't you establish this covenant with Noah before all this happened? The answer is, sometimes you've got to tear out the old before you can put in the new. You know, demo day might be the most fun day, but it also might be the most important day when it comes to any project around the house, because you can't put anything else in until you take what's old out. That's the important piece for us. Now, I get that it's harder to do in our own personal lives and our spiritual lives, but I think that it is as equally important, if not more so. Because here's the simple truth. Uh, everybody appreciate our slide people, right? Amen, they're doing a great job. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to change everything on him, and he has no idea it's coming. <laughs> Jason, to you this is point three, but to everybody else it's point one. Shh, don't tell anybody. God has built and offers a new covenant of life with him. That's what God has done. God has built for us a new covenant of life with him, and he offers that to us. As a matter of fact, it's more than offers. He's promised it to us. He says, it is yours if you want it. Now, God's going to give Noah a rainbow as a sign. Now, let's look here again. We'll continue in the text here. Genesis chapter 9, verse 12, it says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind, never again will waters become a flood to destroy all of life. Now, here's what I've, I've thought about here. Rainbows are kind of an interesting phenomenon, really, because you have to have both rain and light to make it happen. If you just have the rain, it's just kind of a rainy, gloomy day. If you just have the light, you don't really notice it, do you? I mean, light is technically invisible until it hits something else. That's when you see it. And the truth is that the rainbow is illuminating light that's there all of the time. The light is always there because the sun is always shining. You just can't see it because nothing is catching that light. And here's the part that I find sort of I don't know, poetic about all of this, really. It's that the very uh, instrument that God used to bring judgment on the earth, which is this water, he's going to flood the earth and he's going to you know, reset everything, that that very same piece, that tool, that instrument, that's going to become a part of the sign of the life that he is giving to everybody. You have to have that judgment there. You have to have that start over, that demo day, that demolition, that reset. You have to have that before you can experience the grace of God in its fullness. I, I think there's so much truth that, you know, we go through things in life and sometimes it's really, really difficult and things are hard and we wonder what is God doing in the midst of all these things. And, and I don't believe God sends evil to us, but he uses everything we go through in life. And we might wonder, what is God doing with this? What's God using with this? How's he going to make this into something beautiful? But it's often that we've got to go through those difficult things in order to see the true light of God's grace and love. And that's what God's done here. 
God in the, in the very beginning is he has to sort of look at and take stock of, of humanity and the world that he's made and how corrupted it's been. He says, man, I'm going to have to start over, but something good and amazing is going to come out of this. And so he gives Noah the sign, this rainbow here, as a testimony of his promise, as a reminder of his covenant that he's made with Noah. And so the question isn't, you know, is God going to destroy all life? The question is, are we going to walk in confidence with that? Are we going to live in a place where we can accept that and live in the life that God gives to us? That's the question for all of us. You see, we have a different sign for our covenant. It's the cross. Jesus came, and the cross has said that he, that God himself has come and made peace between humanity and God, and that he has given us the, the capacity to make peace with each other. And so the question isn't, is there peace available? Isn't, is there life available? The question is, are we going to accept the life that God has built for us and promised to us? That's the question that we've all got to wrestle with. And this is such a, a good time for us to ask that because there's a symbol that comes to us in the New Testament that the Apostle Peter will sort of connect back to this flood. He's going to tell us this, that we accept God's promise of purification and renewal through baptism. That baptism for us is what the flood was for Noah in his time. That, that the act of baptism is connected sort of as a spiritual foreshadowing to the flood that uh, God sent to Noah. I want to look at how the Apostle Peter explains this here in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. We'll talk about that in a second. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. A couple things I want to pull out of this passage. I know it was a little long, so I want to hit a few points that I think are incredibly important. First is this, is that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. You see, in the very beginning, when God sends the flood, uh, the, the, this promise of grace isn't quite there. God has been with the people, but they've rejected him. And so there's this, this dynamic that God's got to do something to deal with the sin in the world. What is that? He's going to send the flood to reset this. Now he's sent Jesus Christ, the righteous for the unrighteous. And God has atoned for our sins in a different way on this side of the cross. And so Jesus came to suffer for us so that way we would not have to suffer for our own sins. We would not have to die for the penalty of our own unrighteousness, of which we're all guilty, myself included. And so God has come and has done something different through Jesus Christ. Through the cross, he has provided for us a, a means of paying for the price of our rejection of God. Uh, we'll come down to verse 19. It says that Jesus, now being made alive, he suffered, he died for our sins, now he's made alive. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Now, this is a verse that's been, you know, debated by theologians for a long time. What does this mean that Jesus descends, that he goes down sort of like into Hades, like this, this waiting room, like this hellish-like waiting room for all these people that are down there that have been cast there into, into darkness, you know, waiting for some sort of finality to come to them? 
Uh, we get this picture that these people are sort of like, almost like in a spiritual state of limbo, for lack of a better word. They've been placed there. Now, there's not a lot, you know, to, to go on in this passage. It doesn't give us a whole lot of clarity. It just says that Jesus sort of descends and he goes down to preach to the people that were there, that had been cast there during the time of Noah. And so we've got to ask ourselves this question, what is Jesus doing down there? Well, well Peter tells us says that he's proclaiming grace to them. He's proclaiming truth to them. He's telling them that he has come. And it seems like what he's really doing is giving them an offer of grace and salvation. He's saying, hey, listen, you can still be made right with God. Now, we might ask ourselves, why is that? Is it that, you know, these people just didn't have that opportunity? If so, then we can just rest assured that God is always going to make things right with people. We never have to worry about his judgment. I think that's probably true. Uh, but there's another thing I think that's happening here. It's the way that we look at, at hell and heaven. You know, so often we look at hell as a place that God sends us. But, but I think the more I think about hell and the more I look at the way that it's described in passages like this, the more I realize that hell is really, it's a choice that we make for ourselves. It's a rejection of God's grace and love. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a conscious decision where we say, man, I'm going to not accept what God has done for me. Because otherwise... Wouldn't this passage make a little more sense to say that Jesus went down just to open up the doors and be like, all right, y'all can come out now. Um, but that's not what it says that happens. It says that Jesus goes down and proclaims to them. He's, it's like he's giving them an offer with the implication that some will take it and some won't. You know, the uh, Orthodox Church has a different idea of what hell is like. Their idea is pretty simple. It's that we all enter into God's love. We talked about this in the podcast this week, if you uh, listen. We all enter into God's love, and God's love is kind of like a fire. And, you know, if, if it's the same fire, you got a fire there. If you put a piece of dry wood in the fire, what happens? It's going to burn up. But if you put some gold into a fire, what happens? It, it'll melt. It will become even more pure. And if the fire's hot, hot enough, it'll even start to glow and even take on a likeness to the fire itself. And they would say, really, that's, that's who we are. God's love is the same. It's how we enter into that love. If we enter into it in a way where we're saying, God, we want to be transformed by your love, we want to be changed by your love, then the closer we get to God's love, the more we become like him. We are like that gold. But if, on the other hand, we start to say, you know what, God, I don't want any part of that. I don't want your love. I don't want to be transformed by it. Then what we find is that it is a consuming fire that destroys us. And I think that this is a good way to think about it. Because really what we're looking at here is that we each have a choice. Are we going to live in God's covenant of love and life or are we not? It's, it's like these souls that Jesus goes and talks to. They've oriented themselves in a way that they just sort of reject the grace and goodness of God. And I'll tell you, people live that way. Maybe you have lived that way. Maybe at one point in your life you lived that way. Where you kind of felt like God's love was all around you, but you wanted no part of it for whatever reason. But here's the good news, is that we can always choose. We can choose in this life at any point in time to accept the grace and goodness of God. And we will find that that fire that once felt so destructive now becomes one that transforms us more and more into the likeness of God himself. Friends, it's an amazing gift that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. It's a promise that he's given to us that we could enter into that eternal life. The choice is ours. God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there. Where do you want to spend your life? Where do you want to spend your eternity? I know these aren't popular questions. These are difficult things to think about, but I think it's important for us to think about these things. Peter says, man, that's a choice we've got. Continuing on, it says, in few, eight and all were saved through water. 
This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Peter here is telling us two things about baptism. One is it's like the flood in that it washes away the sinfulness. It gives us a spiritual do-over, reset, restart. But the other thing he says is it's a pledge. It's a promise towards God. Now, when I talk to bap- about kids, uh, when I talk about baptism to kids, I tell them that baptism is really kind of three things. One, it's where we, we tell God we're sorry, and he washes away our sins sort of figuratively in the water. The second thing that it is, is it's a promise. That's, we get that right from this passage, where we tell God, listen, I promise that I will live my life for you, and, and I'm going to do that for the rest of my life, God. That is my promise. And, and it's a pledge. Now, we might go, well, how does, how does Peter get this from Noah? Well, he told Noah to build an ark. And so Noah has been building this ark for years by the time the flood rolls around. Man, that was a promise Noah made to God. He said, yes, God, I will do this, and I will see it through to the end. The same thing's true when we give our life to Jesus Christ. We say, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to remain faithful to the end. And the third thing that happens, we don't have it in this passage, but others, it tells us that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That God's Holy Spirit comes into us at the time of our baptism into him, and it fills us with power to complete that promise that we make to him. Baptism's an incredible gift to us, church. It's the day where we sort of say, man, demo day is going to to happen. I'm going to put aside the old, and I'm going to allow God to start to begin the new. And the truth is that we've got to leave our old lives before we can enter into a new one with God. Humanity was created in a covenant of love with God, but in our sin, we rejected that, and we took our hearts sort of out of that loving trust that God had built for us, and we put it into our own selves, our own pride, our own sinfulness. Now, again, God's judgment is kind of one of those things that makes people feel, you know, uncomfortable, squirmy, like, I understand that. But we've got to, I think, look at this passage here in Genesis 6 to understand the the full importance of the flood, and in turn, I think, understand the full importance of God's judgment. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. In other words, the world had become infected and it was killing itself off. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Do you see what the earth is filled with? It's corrupted, but it's corrupted with what specifically? With violence. What happens with violence? People die. God looks at the world and he's saying, listen, you're literally killing yourselves off. You are literally destroying yourselves. If I don't act now, if I don't intervene, if I don't step in, if I don't hit the reset button, guess what? You're going to all destroy each other. We have to start over. And that's what God does with the flood. He says, we're going to start over. We're going to make things right. We're going to rebuild here with Noah and with your family. So that way the world will have a chance to be saved. You see, the flood in and of itself is actually an act of grace. Yes, it's an act of judgment, but it is an act of God's grace sent to save us from ourselves. You see, sin is a wedge. It's a barrier that we construct, that we put between us and God. And that shouldn't surprise us because when we sin in our relationships with each other, what's that do? It puts a barrier between us. If you don't believe me, when you leave here today, just lie to one of your friends or lie to your spouse or lie to your kids. Just tell them a lie and see what that does for your relationship. It will put a wedge there. It will create a barrier there. You'll have to deal with that sin before you can move forward together. 
our, in our relationships with each other, we sort of are at this place where we've got to make it right, but God has sort of turned the tables. When we sin against God, God has said, I'll be the one that makes it right if you will accept my gift of grace and forgiveness. And so that's where we find ourselves here in Demo Day. You know, the early church, I'm talking third, fourth century uh, of, of Christian history, had this practice that before the Sunday of Easter, that they would sort of teach everybody about God. They would teach everybody about Jesus, what he had done for them, the, the history of God's people, and they would sort of get everybody uh, taught. Uh, the word for this is where we get our, our, our word today of catechism. It was a system of teaching people about God's goodness and grace and his covenant and all these things. And what this would lead up to would be the Sunday of Easter where we celebrate the new life we have in God. And many people would choose to be baptized on that Sunday as a Sunday of life. But they knew that before we got there, we had to sort of do some things in our own hearts. And so all the new converts, they had to be taught about God. But this was also an excuse or an occasion, perhaps, for everybody that had been in Jesus Christ to take stock of their lives and to go, what are the places that I've built up these barriers between me and God? What are the places that I have allowed sin to creep in? And it, it, it was a sort of what we call today a fearless moral inventory where we would just look over our lives and go, God, what are the things that are between me and you. Let's pull all those out. Let's get that all washed away. Let's get that all taken care of. Let's get it all cleaned up so that way we can start over new with you in the newness of life that has been provided for us in Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this season of Lent together, really what we're doing is we're saying, God, would you open up our eyes so that way we could remove all of the stuff? Could we have a spiritual demo day where we tear down everything that we've built up that stands in rebellion to you? God, would you help me to tear out my pride? Would you help me to tear out these destructive relationships, perhaps, that I've built in? God, I've got this habit that's sort of consumed me. It's taken over my life. God, I have this thing that I do in secret, and I want you to help me get rid of it. God, I've got an addiction that is holding me in bondage. All of those things, this is the time of year where we would say, man, let's, let's pull all that out, and let's get rid of it. Let's, let's have a demo day together, and let's allow God to build something new in us. I, an image that I find so helpful, and I know that maybe this doesn't always work theologically, but really our hearts are sort of this finite vessel. It's, it's a cup, it's a jar, it's a, it's a box, it's whatever you want it to be, but it's, it's limited in its size and in its capacity. The problem for most of us is that we fill up our hearts and our souls with ourselves. And so when we say, God, would you fill me? He's got like this much room to, to go in. And so the act of this season is a chance for us to empty ourselves, to make more room in our hearts and our souls and in our lives for God. And so here's, here's how we're going to do decision time throughout the season. As the worship team comes out, I just want you to know that we're going to sing a song here, and I really want it to be an opportunity for you to sort of take stock of your life and say, man, where am I in relationship to God? What's in the way? Now, for some of you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is the time for you to say, God, I, I want to give my life to you. I'm going to be sitting over here. I'd love to talk with you about what it would mean for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're joining us online or you don't want to talk right now, you can email me through the church office. You can call me at the church office this week. You can send us a Facebook message. There's a thousand ways to get a hold of us. And you can just say, man, I want to know more about what it would mean to start my life with Jesus Christ. Love to talk with you about that. Others of you, though, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and you know what you need to do, and you know what you need to get rid of. 
And so as we sing these songs and we have this time of decision, this time's yours. If you want to stand and pray and praise, that's great. If you want to get on your knees right where you are, there's plenty of room now. We got seats moved out all over the place. You can get on your knees and you can pray and say, God, would you forgive me? If you've got maybe a spouse or somebody in your family and you're going, man, we need to start over together and you want to pray together, that's great. Listen, we've opened up the baptistry here. So that way, sometimes, you know, I love there's this image of Jesus going to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, man, I want to take a whole bath. I want to start over. And Jesus says, you don't need that. You just need to wash your hands and your feet. That's all you got to do. Some of you maybe, you know, you need to be reminded of the fact that you've been renewed in God's grace. And so we're going to leave this cover off this baptistry. If you want to come up, just put your hands in there, kind of wash your hands off and say, God, I want to start over again. You can do that. We've got some towels up here. You can just do that. Have a moment here of personal repentance before God. Listen, this time is going to be yours as we engage in this heavy work of spiritual demo day. Here's the thing. Physical demo day, that's fun. That's easy. That's a lot of, that's a lot of good times. Spiritual demo day is a lot harder. It's where we've got to start to take out the stuff sometimes that we've become dependent on, that we've built our identities around, and it's really hard work. And so you're going to maybe need some help. If so, again, I'd love to pray with you, elders, staff, the person sitting in the row next to you would probably love to pray with you too. But let's today begin that hard work of, of demo, of tearing out the things that we've built up in our lives that are standing between us and God. And so if you want to stand, we're going to sing a song right now. If you want to kneel, go ahead and do that. But let's use this time to begin that work of demo with God.